welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. Good morning, fam. How are we? Hey, it is good to be in the house of the Lord together, is it not? And it's also good that it feels like fall outside a little bit, does it not? And it's also good to know that it is the season for pumpkin spice lattes, just like Brian said. And all God's people said? Some of you said yuck, but uh, it's all right. Um, This is a great time of year, and I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but uh, it's football season too. I'm excited about that. Yeah, we can clap about football. I'm excited about that. Um, so far, I just want you to know that the Illini have been excluded from the college playoff. Um, that's happened. It happened early, but it'll be all right. And the Bears play today. Anybody excited about playing? Yeah. I don't, it's a little early, but uh, I know we can be excited now. We haven't even played a game yet, really, that counts. So we'll see how it goes against the Packers today. But hey, so I know that today's going to be a good day, and I know that God is good. He, hits, he sits high on his throne. Amen. And I know that he's going to speak, and I'm so glad of the way that Pastor Nate just uh, prayed for us and just invited God to, to speak to you, to speak to me, speak through me, through his word. And as we jump into Ephesians 3 today, as we're now like chest deep in this series called Blessed, what we're going to talk about today is how people, after they've been reconciled to God, how that that bit of reconciliation that happens with us with God then goes beyond us and then how God uses our witness to reconcile others to himself. And so we're going to talk about this this word mystery that the Apostle Paul uses and and we're going to nuance that a little bit and we're going to unpack maybe some confusion when we hear that word as to what it means in the Bible and we'll get there eventually. And if you have your Bible, again, we're going to be in Ephesians 3 in just... A moment. But before I get into that, I want to just give all of you men an opportunity. Next Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, we're meeting at the North property, and we're going to be spreading out some landscape timbers in the playground and cleaning that area up. We have plans. I can't wait to unpack what those plans are, even starting next for next year, but we're building towards that. 8 a.m. next Saturday morning at the North property. We're going to go out there. Probably won't take more than a couple hours for us to get together. We're going to have some good fun and bring some gloves and a shovel if you have it, or maybe even a garden rake, and you'll be able to participate and jump in. Many Hands makes light work, so hopefully you'll be able to attend. We'll have some fun, get some things done in Jesus' name. This is also the time of year, because it's, it is uh, football season, that many of us, we stand in front of the TV or sit in front of the TV and yell at the people as if they can hear us. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, but I, I just naturally think that I'm, I, I can do a better job than the people who are wearing black and white stripes. And I think, oh, if they would just see what I would see, and that, that eventually that they would get it right, or if the coach makes a bad play, or, or if a player actually misses a block, or if it goes and it's like, you went left, you should have went right. I'm like, duh, didn't you see it? Of course they didn't see it, because I'm looking at drone footage, and you know they're not. But like so many times, this is the time of year where we just sit and yell at our at our TVs because we think we know better. And that even is a picture of even beyond the football season as to now what is going on in our world. Many times that's how we feel too. It's like we sit outside of of what else is going on in the world. We look at our television, we look at our phone, and we just want to just cry or yell at our phone like, what are you thinking, what are you doing with what's happening in our world? And I want you to know that what we're going to see today in, in this passage of Scripture is the Apostle Paul unpacks some things to us He's going he's gonna to speak into our situation, out of his situation, as he's in a, in a basically in home arrest, in, in a prison, uh, in a prison type of situation, in home arrest. He's speaking just such truth that permeates not just his situation, but also ours. So I'm thankful that the Word of God speaks into all of these things because that means that we're not without hope. That means that also we're not without a sense of peace. And that means that we're never without a sense of direction as to what it is that we're supposed to be doing in the world today. Here's the thing I know about the world that we live in. We ache for peace over hostility. 
We just do. As a world, we ache for peace over hostility. We ache for community over loneliness. And we ache for unity over division. We just do. We just have these groanings, even if you're in the church or you're outside of the church, or if you're just tuning in today for the very first time and you're not even a follower of Jesus, I know this to be true about you because this is true of all of us. We just have an inner ache for peace over hostility. And the more that hostility ramps up, the more we ache for peace. And the more that, the more that we sense to be alienated or, or separated from other people and have a sense of loneliness, we sense this deeper ache for community. And it's the same thing with unity over division. And it doesn't matter, again, if you're a follower of Jesus or if you're not a follower of Jesus. We're all in the exact same place. And when the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, he's writing it, although you won't hear it in these words, he's writing it with this belief that the local church was a place to bring about peace, and the local church was a place to bring about community, and the local church was supposed to be a place about unity. But here's the rub. Here's the rub. Every church, in every place, at every time, needs reformed and renewed. All of us. Every, every single one of us needs a sense of renewal. There's no church that has ever existed who's had it all figured out, where all the people were just fully sanctified and set apart, and they were just holy and angelic. I'm sorry, that place hasn't existed, and this is not gonna, that is not what's happening here either. We're all, we're all deeply fractured people in a deeply fractured community in a deeply fractured church. We just are. So we are not the answer to what's going on in the world. And the Apostle Paul would point to, to someone beyond himself that we're not the answer. The answer is Jesus, and that's what Paul points us to. So while we all need reformed, we all renew, need renewed, all of us need what the Apostle Paul speaks about in this passage and really in this whole letter. Verse 1, chapter 3 says this, reading through verse 11, or excuse me, through verse 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that, is, that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. I've become a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of, his, of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities and the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So the Apostle Paul is the one who has who is the author of this book. He's one credited to it. And he says in verse 1, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul is the man stewarding the mystery. He's the man stewarding the mystery. He himself knows full well the situation that he's in. And notice what he says with such confidence and with such veracity in the gospel. Because he's living out with the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice, and it's the same power that's available to Christians today. He says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. He knows 
that he is imprisoned, and yet he is not giving the secular authority the honor of saying that I'm in prison because of the Roman authorities. He's saying, no, I'm in prison. I know that God is sovereign over everything and everything, everyone in the midst of his suffering. Paul says, I'm on house arrest, and I'm the one who's here, and I'm suffering. I know that I'm suffering. And he says that he's suffering on the behalf of the Gentiles because he is the steward, or he has the administration of the gospel. So he's on house arrest, and he's not thinking about himself. Instead, he's proclaiming the good news. It's the same good news that got him put on house arrest to begin with. I think for us to stop here for a moment, it is, it's necessary that we just kind of like look, even if it's at the 10,000-foot view, at the Apostle Paul, because you see his perspective in verse 1. His perspective is such that he knows that he's there, he doesn't want to change the place that he, where he is. Instead, although he is on house arrest, he's still just spreading the message of the gospel over and over and over in the middle of his suffering. You see, perspective is so important. And his perspective isn't, poor, poor, pitiful me, I'm in this terrible situation, how can I get out of it? Instead, he knew why he was in the situation, he knew the circumstances that brought him there, and he wasn't longing to leave. Instead, he was finding usefulness in the middle of what many people would call misery. I'm reminded of an ancient philosopher by the name of Seneca. This is not in the Bible, but what he says is this. We suffer more in our imagination than in reality. In our mind, we put ourselves in a situation because we start staring at, a, at the, the circumstance that we're in or the suffering that we're in or, or the condition that we find our country. And instead of, of actually seeking God's will in the midst of it, instead of relying on His power and strength to get through it, to endure it, to find purpose in it, instead we mull over that circumstance and the consequence of, of, of what's happening in our world over and over and over. And all it does is inflame our imagination and it pushes us away from the reality that could be ours. And again, that's not in the Bible, but I think Seneca's on to something. We suffer much more in our imagination when we mull over things instead of seeking Christ in the middle of the situation that we're in. The Apostle Paul, you see his frame of reference. You see that Paul himself, he's a, he's a prisoner on behalf of others. He's a prisoner on, on behalf of of the gospel message. He's a prisoner on behalf of God. He's a prisoner on behalf of the Gentiles. He's willing to endure suffering so that others may hear the good news. He's willing to endure suffering that the Gentiles, the people who were formerly excluded from God's grace, and now they've been ushered into God's grace, and Paul makes it just a statement, a declarative statement of his life, not knowing exactly what's going on, but he's well aware of, of the perspective that he's viewing his situation through. And Paul such confidence in the Lord. He's helping the, the church in Ephesus to be able to reconcile some differences of, of Jews and Gentiles actually coming together. People who are not with God and people who were with God and, and then coming together and for them to be united. This has really been a struggle all throughout the, the New Testament and really even beyond that. But even in, in the the New Testament, the early church leaders had a hard time understanding how inclusive the church was designed to be. They just had a really hard time because the church was birthed out of just Jewish people and then very quickly it was, it was supposed to change from being just exclusive to Jewish people and, and God's plan all along, even in the Old Testament, was pointing beyond Jewish people, but the Jewish people thought it was about them and then there was a transition in, in Acts and God would even give us little whispers or shouts maybe in, in early in Acts, in Acts 1.8. And it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What God is saying in that time and what he's saying to us is the gospel was not supposed to be kept up in a certain group of people. Instead, it was supposed to go out to all people. 
It was supposed to go out to all people and that all people are welcome to hear it. But you would think that even though that this is what Jesus said would happen, that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and they did in Acts 2. You could read it for yourself in the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came down, and it was described in tongues of fire, and they were given different languages, and they dispersed from there telling the good news of the gospel, and people got saved in droves. The numbers they, they picked up so early in those, those early days of the gospel that it went from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000, and then they just caught lost count because there were so many thousands receiving Jesus. But you would think that they would have had it figured out, but it was later even in Acts, in Acts 15, the first council. The church, I wish I could do a deeper dive on the councils, but, but the church, the capital C church, not just our church, but the capital C church, since the beginning of time has had these convening councils deciding and disputing and debating certain theological perspectives and to see what was right and what was truly biblical and what was Jesus' intent and what is in alignment with all of Scripture and not just a little segment of Scripture, but both old and new. And in Acts 15, the, there was a council there that was that ultimately was deciding how Jewish do the Gentiles need to be for them to be part of the church. And that's an interesting read. You ought to read that later on. It's, it's really fascinating but we see that very quickly after Acts 15 and the good news, then they found out that the, those who were far from God, who, those who were Gentiles, they didn't need to become Jews just to become Christians. That God's plan all along was that no matter who they are or where they are or where they were from, they would all become Christians and be united as one. Verse 2, let's talk about the, the mystery made known. Paul, he said that it was the administration of God's grace. The mystery made known. Verse 2 says this, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I had already written briefly, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to men in other generations as it has been now revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery, Paul says, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about the mystery made known. Well, I think for us to even... We're going to use the word mystery over and over, so I want to early kind of dispel maybe some myth around mystery. When we hear the word mystery, we think of maybe the creepy voice from Unsolved Mysteries from the 80s and 90s. Remember that TV show? Or maybe the, the, the creepy voice and the guy on Dateline where he could literally be reading the, the, the directions and ingredients from your grandma's apple pie and yet you would somehow feel scared. You know what I'm talking about? Because when we hear mystery, that's what we hear from, from our cultural perspective, from the American perspective, when we hear mystery, we hear darkness. When we hear mystery, maybe some of your younger audiences, maybe you just see sepia tones and you think stranger things. And you think mystery, like, oh, I don't know. And you think that everything's cryptic. That's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. It's not a matter of darkness. It's instead, when he uses the word mystery, he's using it in a way as that, that it, is, it is a truth that only God can reveal. And that God willingly reveals. But it is a truth that was cloaked in God and that God reveals to people. So it's not a matter of darkness. Instead, it's a matter of light. And it's the light of Christ. It's the light that shines upon you. So the mystery made known. The word administration, it's kind of a confusing word because we use those and we maybe think of, you know, things about work and we hear the word administration and like, I don't like that. So we put that in a category. That actual biblical word is the, maybe a better translation. Maybe your translation actually says stewardship. And a steward is a person responsible for taking care of something for someone else. The apostle Paul knows that he's not there just because of himself. He, he is... He is the steward of this mystery, the mystery of the gospel. He is, he is administration of God's grace. He's the one that God chose, although he's in a, in a 
basically on house arrest, he's the one that God chose to be a vessel of his good. We have a very similar place with where we live and with who we are. He points to this mystery in verse 6, the mystery that is, that is through the gospel. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together, shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So the mystery of Christ is the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ. And this is the union of any people who receive the good news of the gospel. Of any people. You see, the Jews in, in that day, they hated anyone who's not a Jew. And likewise, somebody who was a Gentile, also known as being a barbarian, they hated anyone who was not like them. There was so much division, it's not that much different than what we see in the world today. And what was, what's really sad to me is you would think after all, all these thousands of years of God revealing His truth and giving the Bible and, and just the good news of the gospel, you would, you would think that these things would have changed. But they really haven't changed. I was watching a, a video. I think the video went viral. I've saw it, I saw the video three or four weeks ago. But it was of these, these young Jewish boys, and they're walking down an alley. It was very well lit. It was in the middle of the day. They're walking down an alley, and these three or four Jewish boys are going one way, and there's a Christian woman coming the other way. And you see the, the Jewish, one of the Jewish boys just, just looks over at her and just spits right on her as she passes on by. The same thing that existed then exists now. And yet, although Jesus died so that Jew and Gentile could be one as being part of the body of Christ, the local church, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to receive it. But the offer is available. The mystery was that the love and mercy and grace of God is available to all people and not just a select few. So let me encourage you with this. It, that means it doesn't matter what happened in your past, that God can wipe the slate clean from your past. It, it doesn't mean that just because you divorced when you were 21 and you made that, that rash decision to get married and you got divorced and that it blew up your life and you had a child and now you're trying to figure out what to do or, or maybe you, divorced, you married the wrong person you're still married to him and you're trying to figure out what to do and you see your responsibility in doing all of that or maybe you squandered a, a bunch of resources and now you're broke and you're thinking, I had some things and now I don't have these things. It doesn't matter if, if there just seems to be controversy that swirls your life and you have a bunch of broken relationships and now you, you finally realize the mess that you've made, every one of those things and all others can be forgiven. You don't need to be defined by what you've done wrong. The good news of the gospel is the mystery that's being unveiled to you is, yes, you've done those things that are wrong. We've all done those things that are wrong. We're all imperfect people. But when we surrender ourselves to Jesus, we submit to Jesus, we turn away from our sin, and we turn toward Him as our Savior, He can wipe our slate clean. We're no longer defined by, by sin, guilt, and shame. Instead, we're defined by the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. And that we can lean heavily into what it says in Ephesians 1 that I preached weeks ago. We can declare the truth that we are indeed blessed, that we're chosen, we're called, we're adopted, we're predestined, and we are purposed. Shaping a new identity, taking away, washing away the fallen identity. But it's available to you. This mystery, you see, it also brings people together. It just brings people together. Notice what it says in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. There's so many references within all of Ephesians about being together or being united or being one. And Paul over and over and over is reminding us 
that we, if we're going to be together, we have to fight for unity. We have to fight for unity. If we're going to be a community, we have to fight through loneliness. If we're going to be a people of peace, we're going to have to sense the hostility and cling to Jesus, who is our peace. There's a great story about how the gospel brings people together, and it happens, this actually, a true story from some of our missionaries. And I love their handle. It's the Daniels family and their, their missionaries to Kenya. Jerry and Sherry are their names, but their handle is Daniels, plural, in the lion's den. It's kind of catchy. Kind of sounds like a dad joke, you know, and I'm, I can get behind those. So, so several months ago, I'd, I'd sent a message out to several of our missionaries asking them specifically, I'm like, can you share real life stories and experiences from the field about how God has changed people's lives? Because stories, stories from from across the ocean are stories of humanity and they also reflect upon our shared humanity. And this is the story that Jerry and Sherry sent to me. It's, it's a story having to do with two different tribes in a time of drought. And of course, there, if you pay any attention to what's going on in parts of Africa, they're still, right now, they're, they're still warring tribes, tribes killing each other. You would think that it's just primal, but there, there are still tribes killing each other. And what happened in this situation had to do with uh, a tribesman, a pastor by the name of John Longa, uh, Longiza, I believe is his name. He was from the Turkana tribe and also a, a pastor from another tribe, the Sambura tribe, and his name is Joseph. But because all of the people who were stricken with the drought and all of the people are desperate for food, and it doesn't matter what tribe you're from, although they're warring, these two pastors vowed that they would work together to deliver food to both tribes, to try and bring the tribes together to stop the tribal wars. They vowed that they would work together to bring the food. They would vow they would protect each other, even if it cost them their own lives. So they prayed, they cried, and they took food in relief to the desperate families in both communities. God protected them and actually made them more unified while they're doing this work. And it became a very powerful example of reconciliation. Because one morning, 10 of the, of the militiamen that had threatened the two pastors' lives showed up to the two pastors and as they showed up, the, I can just imagine, it, it wasn't in the writing, but I can just imagine the two pastors are like, I don't know how this is going to go. They were threatening our lives. And they were part of the militia. They were, they were an armed military, militia force. And these 10 militiamen went before these two pastors, and they didn't go there as combatants. Instead, they went there curious about the gospel. The two pastors shared the gospel with these 10 militiamen, and these 10 militiamen then gave their lives to Jesus Christ. All because two warring tribes decided that they were instead not going to look at what, what made them separate, but instead the gospel that bonded them together, and they had a shared work and a shared burden and a shared calling for the gospel. They worked together. People got saved. These 10 militia soldiers got saved. They all accepted Jesus. And I can't even imagine the ripple effect that that has had through both tribes since then. The gospel, this mystery, it brings people together. It has, since the early days of the church, just bringing people together, reconciling differences, This mystery also brings new power. The Apostle Paul talks about this in this passage. In verse 7, notice what he said. In verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the power of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Through the working of his power. Notice that he doesn't say 
by the working of my own grit, by the working of my own determination, by the working of my own energy level. He says, no, it's by God's power that he's doing these things. I I don't know why. Sometimes when I hear certain things, it like creates an image in my head. And the image I have in my head right now is from a clip, and it's going to seem random, I know, but it's from a... It's a clip from the show uh, Duck Dynasty. Remember Duck Dynasty? Raise your hand. Just in case you haven't seen Duck Dynasty, all of the, all of the members of, of the, and the cast of that show look like they were actually part of the band ZZ Top, just so you know. Like they just do. It just, but I remember there was one such episode early on, actually, maybe in the first episode that I, that I saw of Duck Dynasty, where they were all out there and they're all doing their thing and they were all trying to blow up a beaver dam. And, and then went out there with, with more dynamite than what they needed because you can never have enough. And so they went out with some dynamite to blow up this beaver dam. And, you know, it was, the, it was all the drama and all the laughter and all the, all the beards, all the things that you see in that show. And then they blew up this beaver dam and then, you know, whatever and, and all as well. But I, I just I thought about that because they took dynamite to do that. And there's a connection even with what you just wrote down because the same power that we have that word, dynamite, has a derivative of this Greek word for power, and it's the Greek word dunamis, which is also the word we get dynamite from. And you, you may not have a connection with Duck Dynasty, so I'll, I'll bring another reference. There was a TV show in the 70s and 80s where J.J. said, dynamite. So there you go. There's that too. Same dynamite. Just, I just want to be relevant to all generations today. Why would I say such a thing? The reason why I would say such a thing is this. This mystery that Paul talks about, the gospel message, it brings new power to blow up the things that divide us. It brings new power to blow up the things that divide us. That there would be a spiritual disruption in us and the very thing that would cause distance between us, that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he would blow those up and he would eliminate those barriers that keep us from loving one another well and better and better and better. He said in verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. You see, the mystery, I've shared it with you a few times, the mystery is also, it's the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of the gospel. Verse 8 through 11. Although I'm less than the least of all of God's people, this grace given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, or heavenly realms, excuse me, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, people, if we're going to blow up the things that, that keep us separate, let's talk about some things that we actually have in common if we're in Christ. People who know the mystery have these things in common. A, the first thing, is they have a sense of revelation. Verse 2, Paul said, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. It was given to me for you. The word revelation, it means this, the result of coming to know something. You see, when we call ourselves Christians, it's just that we've actually come to know God in a personal way. And the way that we come to know God the Father in a personal way is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can become one with God the Father through Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the only way we can do that is that first God reveals Himself to us, the mystery. And remarkably, God continues to also reveal things to us through His Word, through prayer, through community, through preaching, through singing, through meditating on the Word, 
But this revelation that's being talked about is given by God. It's not just learned by man. It's spiritually discerned. The second thing that we all have in common is this idea of commission. So underneath revelation, we have all have a revelation about who God is and the goodness of God. And, we've, and those of us who are in Christ, we've given our lives to Jesus. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that actually keeps us unified. The second thing is we have a, a commission. Commission, it means a responsibility to make something known to others. Notice what Paul said in verse 7. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. We've all been commissioned to be people of the good news of the gospel. It doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter if you're not a people person. It doesn't matter if you are a people person. Every single person who has given their life to Jesus Christ has also received the great commission to tell others about Jesus Christ. Third thing is insight. Verse 4 says this, In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. I love that God just doesn't leave us hanging. I love that, that God just doesn't save our soul and then we just live the rest of the days or days, decades, and years of our life just aimlessly wandering through this fallen world without a clue as to what to do. Instead, God gives us insight as to what it is that we're supposed to do. This word insight is an interesting word in the Greek. It literally means to bring together, or metaphorically, it refers to comprehension and understanding. Meaning this. Mentally bringing knowledge together in order to grasp its full meaning and significance. I'll say it again. It means mentally bringing knowledge together in order to grasp its full meaning and significance. John MacArthur said it this way. He said, spiritual insight must always precede practical application because what is not properly understood cannot be properly applied. And I'm so thankful that God just doesn't leaving us, leave us hanging in our foolishness. Instead, He walks us through this life, giving us more insight by the power of the Spirit, giving us more insight by the, by the whole counsel of God's Word, giving us, giving us insight by spiritual conversations that we have in life group, giving us spiritual insight into when we're in serving teams and that brother or sister says something to us about our walk with Jesus to spur us on into love and good deeds. I'm so glad that God just doesn't leave us hanging. Instead, He sends his people to help shape the process too. But all of these things, they come with it also, there's a privilege. We're privileged people not because of what we've done or because of who we are. We're privileged people because of who Jesus is and what he allows us to do. The Apostle Paul says, he says this, he says, although I am Less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me, he says in verse 8. He said, although I'm less than the least of all God's people. Scholars aren't really sure what he's getting at here, but he may be getting at this. The Roman surname Paulus is Latin for little or small. And tradition says that he was a little man. I can relate. So he may be saying in this way, he may be saying it in this way, I'm little, little by name, little in stature, and morally and spiritually littler than the littlest of all Christians. That may have been his intent when he wrote that, just, just so people didn't start putting him up on a pedestal, that he himself says, no, I know my place, and I know where I was, and I know that I would be nothing without Jesus' work in me. And the last thing is the riches of the mystery. The riches of the mystery. And this is a repeated theme throughout this letter. He says in verse 8, Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace given to me to preach to the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He also talks about unsearchable riches in Christ. This idea that 
that there's no way that we would be able to explore Jesus enough to get to, to get to the bottom of everything in the full essence as to who he is. But we have the riches of the knowledge to get to know him in a personal way, even so. It's the same mystery that the Apostle Paul is is stuck in home arrest. It's the same riches by which the Apostle Paul gave his life to sharing. It's the same riches by which I've given my life in ministry for. And it's the same riches, the riches of the gospel message and the riches of being able to share this mystery that's only a mystery to those outside of faith in Christ that you and I have been commanded to tell others about. We're going to respond with singing, but I would just ask that you would stand. I just want to ask you one question. I feel like God wants me to ask you this one question. Bear with me. I'm a preacher. That one question can go into three, but there's one in my mind right now. And the question I have for you is this. Who is the one person that God has put in your midst that needs Jesus Christ? Who is the one person that God has put in your midst that needs Jesus Christ. We're going to take just a moment. I just ask everybody to just bow their heads, close their eyes. Even if you're not a praying person, I would just ask that you do so just out of reverence for this moment. And if the Holy Spirit implanted a name in your brain just now, I want you to pray for that person. I want you to pray specifically that God would reveal himself to that person, that that person would come to know Jesus in a personal way. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord Jesus, in the stillness in this moment, we lift up and intercede on behalf of all these people that are stuck in in people's minds right now. God, I pray that you would just bring a sense of revival in their heart. That you would take the, the fact that they're dead in sin, but God, that you would cause them to be alive in you. I pray, Lord Jesus, right now in, in this time and place and in intercession for, for these, these people who are in our minds, God, that I pray, Lord, that you would just bring about an individual who will bring the words of the gospel, that they be radically saved, redeemed, washed clean, made new. God, that their minds would be transformed. That your word would be made evident within them. And God, I also pray for the individuals who are in this room or are thinking about that individual. And Lord, if you would spur them to take that next step, go beyond prayer, to go into words and action. God, I pray that you would give them the boldness and courage to do it. God, we ask for revival. But we don't ask for revival just for someone else. We ask for revival within us. Just as been said a few times, we are imperfect people in an imperfect culture, in an imperfect world, as part of an imperfect church. Jesus, we need you. We need you to be the one who reconciles differences within us and within our relationships. Have your will today.
have your way in our lives, in our words, in our actions, in our deeds. Amen.
turn it for good. You turn it for good. Sing that one more time just like that. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Let's do it again. Same way. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for You mean that? Let's sing it out now. You take what the enemy meant for evil turn it for good, you turn it for good, you take what the enemy meant for evil, you turn it for good, sing that again, sing it again, you take what the enemy meant for evil, you turn it God, I thank you for the work that you are doing. I thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord Jesus, as we just conclude our time together, God, I pray that you would just keep working well beyond these walls. Give us words, give us opportunities, give us actions. Don't let us off the hook about these people who don't know you. God, keep spurring us in our minds, reminding us of them and their need for you. 